Hello, and welcome to the Bellingham Real Estate Podcast. I'm Paul Balzotti. I'm here with Mr. Pat Starr. And today we are talking about commercial real estate. And I have a commercial real estate broker who's a true expert in the profession here with me today. So, Pat, how long have you been in commercial real estate? Well, I've been in res- I've been in real estate. Oh, yeah. How long have you been in real estate? I've been yeah. in real estate for 15 years, okay. and I made the transition into commercial about three years after that. So about 12 years in commercial now. Okay, cool. So what brought you from commercial real estate into residential? Well, I, I, I kind of fell into it backwards, to be honest with you. I was doing a lot of um, prospecting, you know, trying to get mm-hmm. new listings like, like every new agent does. Mm-hmm. And... I had an opportunity to list a gas station. It was yeah. actually the Chevron in Linden. Yeah. I knew nothing about it yeah. at all. Yeah. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll give it a shot. They wanted to give me a chance because because I my, my specialty at the time, and it still is actually, is a lot of advertising in Canada and whatnot. At mm-hmm. that time, the Canadian dollar was at an all-time high. This is 2009 or? This would have been, I think, more 2008-ish. I okay. Can't, I can't remember. Something right in there. It, yeah. Just around then. Yeah. And um so I took on that listing. I didn't really know anything about how to sell a gas station. I didn't know how to value one. I knew nothing about it. I figured, oh, I'll just give it a shot, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I actually, during the, and we did end up selling it. And um, through the process of just dealing with the buyers, I actually learned how to sell a gas station. You were kind because, of faking it till you make it. Kind I was of thing. faking it till I made it. Exactly. <laughs> because, uh, you know, I, after, you know, I had about 20 calls on it. And every, mm-hmm. every one of these people were serious gas station, you know, buyers, mm-hmm. you know, they already own their own gas stations. And you start to see a pattern. The, I'll ask the exact same questions and looking for the exact same metrics. How many, how much, what's the margin per gallon on the outside sales? What's the inside sales? You know, what about the tanks? Are they double, are they double hold, single hold? All these things I never would have thought about. Sure. So, I, so I'm starting, I was actually learning about how to value a gas station. By the time I was done with it, I was, I was ready to go. And I said, this is, this is just the this is the business for me because yeah. I, I, I just really enjoyed the numbers and I just kind of enjoyed the, um, it was much more objective. It wasn't, yeah. there was no emotions involved. It wasn't about, well, you know, it wasn't like with a house, right? You know, well, I don't like the garden. I don't like the yard. I don't like my neighbor's house. It's more like, does this make sense for me as an yeah. investment? And I just really, really liked that. So I yeah. just pursued it. And I want to get into, we'll get into residential versus commercial also, what makes a good commercial investment, how you value commercial. So we're going to talk about all of that. But you mentioned that your first commercial deal was a gas station. You've told me before about this, but I, th- I found this really interesting that my instinct before was that, okay, and I've heard other people say, okay, gas stations are doing really well when gas prices are up like they are right now. You were telling me before that that's not really how gas stations work. That the gas prices sure. really don't indicate what they're. No, they're bad. They're bad yeah. for business. When yeah. The gas, when the prices are high, because in a gas station you have two revenue streams. You sure. have what's called outside sales, mm-hmm. okay, the pump, the gas, and you have inside sales. Yeah. And as a as a as a rule of thumb, the outside sales, which is expressed in cents per gallon. So like, if I'm selling a gas station, if I have, if I have, a, if I have a gas station listed, the buyer's going to call me and say, Pat, how many gallons are they selling a month, and what's the margin? And that might be twenty-five cents a, a per gallon. It might be thirty-five cents. It might be ten cents a gallon, right? Yeah. And and if uh, if somebody if somebody only has so much money in their pocket, and they got to go to the gas station. If they have to spend all their money outside at the pump just to get to get enough gas to get home, they're not going to go inside and buy the higher ticket items, the higher mm. the higher profitable, the more profitable items. So Cheetos and uh, and beer is where sure. the money's at. That's that's where yeah. the money. It's all about the inside sales. Yeah, for yeah. sure. 
Fair enough. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. Which is why you see like an AM PM. Yeah. You're gonna have the or an Arco, you're gonna have very low gas prices because maybe their margin's only 15 cents per gallon. Yeah. Right? But they they're offering so much food inside. Whereas you just have like a little gas station out on the Mount Baker Highway that doesn't have a lot of food offering, they're gonna be maybe they're gonna be charging 40 cents per gallon. So they really are. So the when Arco really is making less money per gallon. Absolutely. And and so it is a better deal, essentially. Sure. And you throw on the credit card aspect. Yeah. Because if the credit card fees, if gas is four fifty a gallon and the credit card fees two dollars, I'm sorry, is two percent per, per uh, you know, for the for the purchase. Yeah. That's two percent of four fifty, that's nine cents per gallon. So if their original margin is twenty cents per gallon, yeah, their profit, but nine cents of it is going to the credit card fees. Yeah. That's a big difference. If gas is $2 a gallon, only four cents is going to the credit card fees. Yeah. So it's a huge swing. So if you like your local uh, gas station and the gas prices are good, go in and buy some buy some bubble gum or buy some... <laughs> I, 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 I go one step further. I think that when, when I'm outside, if I like my gas station, um, when I'm outside and I have a choice between going credit card or debit, yeah. I'll do the debit. Yeah. Because I'm saving them that money. Now, yeah. I might not care for some gas stations, but if it's a little mom pa shop and every every cent counts, mm-hmm. I'm going to take the extra time to type in my my pin so they can save that money. What a guy. Yeah. What a guy. So, <laughs> what is so what what is your definition of what would you can define as commercial versus residential? Uh I think the flip answer is everything that's not residential is commercial. I mean, <laughs> but commercial but really commercial just means you're buying this as an investment. Mm-hmm. You, you see potential to, you know, use it yourself to make money or, or you know, you're, maybe it's a, there's so many different kinds, Paul. You have retail, you have office, you have land development. Um, commercial is just basically, I'm buying this because I think it's going to be worth more money. I'm going to make money on it. Right. As opposed to living it. As right. my house. So, it, it, you know, obviously industrial business brokering or businesses, um, but that obviously includes multifamily and it includes all of that as well. So, Okay. Yeah, then, I, would, I would consider for me, I consider multifamily commercial because yeah. you're dealing with commercial, you know, banking rates or you know, yeah. commercial. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then and then as a commercial broker, there's some realtors that are that do both. You do a little bit of residential mm-hmm. still. There's some agents who do only residential. You're somebody who's primary commercial. So what how is your job different mm-hmm. than sort of somebody considering or just curious or they're considering becoming a commercial broker or they're interested in the field, like what, how would you say it's different than yeah. being a real residential? Well, broker? first I'd separate, I'd, before I answer that, I'd separate out the leasing agents from the people who are in the buying selling. There are some people who do nothing but leasing. Sure. And that's a different, that's a completely different mm-hmm. animal. Um, the biggest difference is I'd say as far as the actual process making the offer and how much the time from offer to closing what happens in between much longer timelines so like Mm -hmm. residents residential you know you may have a five-day inspection 10-day inspection 21-day financing addendum close in 30 days right Mm -hmm. commercial if you can close something in 30 days you're 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 pretty happy and it was obviously just a great deal and the person just wanted to buy it all cash because you know in a commercial deal Commercial loans, for one thing, take about 60 days mm. as opposed to, you know, 10 days, 14 days. You can pull it off in residential. And so there's just a lot longer feasibility periods. We don't have inspection periods. We have what's called feasibility periods. They're just blanket. Go and see if this property works for you. Do whatever you want. Here are all the records, all the books. Figure it out. And so they take a lot longer. So what, 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 this, what this means in real life is I will have less deals in a year. Right. Quite a few less than, yeah. than a successful residential broker, but they might be, you know, bigger. 
on average, they're especially because you're not you don't specialize in leasing, so you're doing bigger, more development deals, mm-hmm. more commercial deals. Or, well, now I'm calling now I'm defining commercial as just commercial, but I'm thinking of like a commercial building, mm-hmm. necessary something like that. And so you might have an average of what five or six months to a transaction, and then if it doesn't close, if you have two big deals going and it doesn't close, I know that you know you must have to really manage your just as a commercial broker because we. You know, just like residential, you work off of really commission closing only. So if it doesn't close, that can be probably quite stressful as well. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) About five years ago, I worked on a deal for five months. Tons of work, tons of work. And at the end, it fell apart five days before closing because the appraiser, the uh, the appraiser, I think I think we were listed at I think it was four point five million, and the appraisal came back at four million. Mm. And uh, the buyer wasn't happy. The seller, nobody was happy with the appraisal. But mm-hmm. um, it, it opened, it reopened up the the negotiation process, and the deal fell apart. And it was five months of lots of work. Yeah, and then zero dollars for for Pat. Yeah, zero dollars <laughs> exactly. But then the the flip side I know is you have several repeat clients. So you know you mentioned to me before talk about how you have a couple different types of buyers that you work with. Some of them might be just doing the one thing, and then some of them seem to have an unlimited amount of cash <laughs> if you can make them money, right? No, that's that's right. I mean, and that's the thing is that you do less deals, but you might do deals more often with the same client. So like, I, I you, correct me if I'm wrong, but like the average person buys or sells their house every seven years. Is that the trend? Maybe over? five years, seven five years. years. Yeah, yeah. Seven right. years, yeah. Well, if, uh, a, a commercial investor, they might buy a property. They'll, they'll buy 10 properties if they make mm. sense. And yeah. so you can – and it, it, it really comes down to – Trust. They have to trust you. You have to be working for it. Right. You're not just writing the offer and then turning it into to escrow and hoping that it hoping that it all goes well. They expect you to be looking over the leases, finding out any problems, really analyzing it. Sure. And if you and so what what happens is a lot of deals do flip and they flip yeah. because you find out something wrong. You have to as a buyer's agent, you have to take it seriously. You're not just trying to get the the paycheck. You have to say. Look, this person, they're spending $3 million and you can't think, oh, well, they have a lot of money. It doesn't matter. And I want a commission. <laughs> you, you have to treat like, yeah. if this were if this were my brother, if this were my dad, would I recommend that they buy this? And you have to be willing as a, as a buyer's agent in a commercial deal to look through the leases and look through everything. And if you see something wrong, bring it up and say, hey, look, I think this is a problem. Sure, this says that there's a 10-year lease, but look here on page 180 of the lease. They have an opt-out after three years. Sure, and the and the seller has to give. I'm sorry, the tenant, the land, uh, the tenant in this situation has to give six months notice if they're not going to continue, if they're going to opt out in year three. This property just went on the market when two and a half years. Into yeah, it, right. So red flag. What is that's it? A, why, a, why is this seller selling it? Did they get notice from the tenant that hey, you know what, we're not going to we're not going to do our you know remaining seven years? And you have to bring that up, and just be willing that it might kill the deal. Yeah, well, and that that makes a lot of sense because a lot of, you know, most residential realtors are doing it for the right reasons. But some of the top realtors, you know, are actually known for not necessarily having the best reputation and they can kind of still get away with it because of the transactional nature sometimes of real estate. And there's so many transactions, they could burn a couple people Mm -hmm. and then still keep doing business because they could pay for leads and and keep getting new clients and and maybe do a good enough job for somebody, be charming and everything like that that they didn't need to pay attention to some of the details where you're right when you're in commercial it's the details are so everything mm-hmm. right? right and put in putting in that extra effort um and and is, is so crucial and a huge difference that I think a lot of people don't realize is that 
in the finance in a commercial property, the loans, they may be on a 30-year schedule or a 25-year amortization, but they're basically five-year loans. So like when you go and buy a house, you know, you have a 30-year fixed rate, you sure. know, 2.75%. You, know, you know that in 29 years, it's still going to be 2.75%. You can plan. Mm -hmm. But a commercial loan, um, every five years, they get re-upped. Now, you, there are some special programs. You can you can pay sure. a little more and get a 7 or a 10. But basically, as a general rule of thumb, they're five years. And so if somebody's going to go and they're going to spend $3 million on this little strip mall and there's five tenants, mm -hmm. you have to be thinking, okay, in, in five years when this loan gets renewed, what is the, is, are the rates going to go up? Right now, sure, we're, we're borrowing at 3%. Is it going to be 5%? If it's, if we, what happens if it's 5% and we lose this tenant? Right. The bank might very well say, you know what? It's been, appreciate your business, but um, we're not going to redo your loan. So the risk factors can be huge. Right. Yeah. So you really, I, I'd say that buyer agency is really, really important yeah. if you want to be a successful commercial real estate agent. You have to be willing to pull the plug on some deals and not be thinking about, oh, but I need the money. Well, and you mentioned earlier that, you know, when you, the way you learned how to evaluate and be a good listing agent on that gas station was also listening to the buyer's questions. And that's really the best way to become good at valuating businesses for the for the seller is mm -hmm. understanding the buyer process, being a really good buyer's right. agent because you understand the buyer's perspective, and that's really the best way to evaluate. Sure, how and to that, sell it. that helps on the listing end because a lot of times you'll have a seller who they well, I want a million dollars for this because everybody at the coffee shop told me I'd be crazy to take less than a million dollars. Right. So then we okay, well let's sit down, let's just look at it, a million dollars. So buyer comes by and. They have 25% down and, uh, you know, how much money are they going to put in their pocket at the end of this process? And sometimes you show the seller, this is why nobody's going to buy this. You know, it, it, it's not like a house. You have a farmhouse, you know. Yeah. Uh, there's all types of intrinsic things. Well, you have 40 acres. Well, some people don't want 40 acres. Right. You know I mean, so, but with commercial, it's very objective. It's just fact-based. So a lot of, this happens a lot of times with a seller. They say, I want a million dollars. Yeah. Okay. So. Sometimes it's very easy to show them that the only person who's going to buy this is an all-cash buyer. Right. Now, there might be somebody who has a million dollars who will buy it, but nobody who has $250,000 is going to try to buy this and finance it because no bank will give the loan. Right. Right? And so then the, the, the conversation becomes with the seller. So there are how many people have a million dollars laying around versus how many people have $250,000? Sure. The buyer's pool is a lot bigger. There's a lot more people with $250,000 than there are with a million dollars. So then it's just a matter of education. So Mr. Seller, if you insist on a million dollars, that's fine. Just so you know, it's going to be a smaller buyer pool. It's not financeable at this. And you just have to, it is about managing expectations. That way yeah. they're not upset in 60 days when they haven't sold it yet. Well, and that's in residential listings right now. You know, our average days on market is like, for our office is like three days, four days. Right. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's a, it's a very hot market. Of course, you're never going to have an, I mean, average day, I mean, average days in the market when you have a listing is a lot longer too, obviously for those exact for reasons sure. is because even, yeah, you could have a situation like that where you're willing to put it up for a million because there's a chance, mm -hmm. but, um, but it's a very small chance and you're educating them and setting those expectations up front. Right. That actually brings me right into my next question, which is, I, I'm a business owner, right? Mm -hmm. And and a lot of people are maybe hopefully they're listening or watching or are business owners or want to own a business. And they might wonder, how do you evaluate what your business is worth? And I know that's a loaded question. I know there's so many different variables. Sure. But in general, if my business has a net profit um, of let's say hundred thousand um, dollars, a gross profit of five hundred, let's just say just net profit, a hundred thousand dollars. 
how do what's is what's the formulas that are generally used by a commercial broker to evaluate just kind of on a base level uh, evaluating businesses? Yeah, I mean it's a loaded question. <laughs> I mean, hey, there are so many factors, right, right, right? right? But to your point, there are metrics that are used, and when we're talking here business opportunities where sure. where the land is not included, right, okay? Right, because that's right. a whole different animal. Because somebody that's, might want to buy it for a totally different use. Right? Sure, so we're talking about a pure business opportunity. Yeah. There are different formulas and different metrics, and they depend on the location and the business type. Um, but let's just to answer your question, let's just say the the gross sales are five hundred thousand, and there's four hundred thousand in expenses, and they have a hundred thousand dollars. You know, you could probably figure two and a half times that, so maybe two fifty. Okay. And some of the factors that go into that are uh, is the how, how how much how many hours does the owner put in? Mm-hmm. Are they are they an owner operator or right. do they or it, but I'm just yes exactly. You know I mean? yeah, yeah, are they good. spending 16 hours working? Yes, know, as opposed yes. to do they just have a manager and they're just right. collecting the money? So there's a lot of differences, and and I guess it, that's it, why a lot of restaurants just close, right? Is because the sure. they they're making eighty thousand dollars in profit, but the owner's working seventy hours a week, mm-hmm. and people are looking at that restaurant and going, I don't want you know if they can't find another owner operator of that restaurant, right. is that kind of what we're talking about? Yeah, and it's. You got to go who the competition is, what what the competition is. Yeah. Okay. If you're if you're if you're listing your business, what's your competition, so to speak? With the house is pretty obvious. The competition's the neighbors. It's a similar house in a, in a different neighborhood. That's the right. competition. When it comes to a business opportunity, the buyer is thinking, okay, I'm going to spend say two hundred fifty thousand dollars to buy this. Now, is it worth it for me to spend two hundred fifty thousand dollars to buy this? It's established, mm-hmm. as opposed to here's an empty space over here, and I can just. I can just recreate that business. Maybe mm-hmm. it's like a noodle shop or something like that. Noodles, yeah. Yeah, noodles, right? I so love I'm, noodles. I'm, I, I, know you, I know you do. <laughs> and so uh, I think, well, with, for $250,000, gosh, you know, I could, um, you know, I talked to that landlord in that empty space. He's been vacant for six months now. He says he's going to do $50,000 of TI if I sign a five-year release, you know, five-year lease. Maybe I could spend that two hundred fifty thousand dollars on a great marketing campaign. So you're 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 competing with empty spaces, basically. So then it could be just whatever your equipment is worth. And it often then, comes down to that. Yeah, and then I wanted to touch on, um, you know, look, we you had talked to me before about location. Sure. And so you know, you know, the example we were talking about before about Menchies, right. um, a plug in Menchies, and and yeah, uh, right. And why and why that Menchies, the Menchies that we have right. Right in in Bellingham, there's one right by Whole Foods, right? Yeah. And 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 why that? Way. And so why that one might be worse some, than somewhere else? It's a safer long term investment because let's say you really really want to do a yogurt shop, right. right? And you have a choice between buying a Menchie's, you know, up uh, somewhere off the Guide Meridian, mm-hmm. far away from you know any schools or athletic fields or whatnot, versus a Menchie's that's just right down across from Civic Field. As a buyer, I'm thinking to myself, well, okay. Of course, you think about a lot of things. Are, is, is, is frozen yogurt still going to be popular in three years, five sure, years? Sure, sure, sure. Who knows? But beyond that, is this going to be a good location? The answer is yes. There's always going to be a civic field. There's always going to be the, the ballparks. There's always going to be after, you know, every day after the track meet or after the soccer game, there's always going to be hundreds of kids who all want to treat. Right? Absolutely. I've been there. I've done that. You've done yeah. that. And, and so, that's why there's a little Caesars right there too. For sure. And they're going to crush it because that's what you right. do is you get pizza and ice cream for your kids exactly. after all those games. Right. The sports bucks, the fields. Yeah. Yeah. So location is a big thing. And then the other thing is just brand name identity. Sure. You know, there's a big, well, like John L. Scott. I mean, there's a difference between John L. Scott and XYZ real estate company. Right? Sure. Because John L. Scott has the name and whatnot. 90 so years. It makes more sense to buy a John L. Scott that was doing the same numbers as a, 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 a no name. 
Right, you know? right. Okay, that makes perfect sense. And then the last question I wanted to ask you kind of relates to all of this, which is, let's say, you know, somebody's looking, they want to call you and they say, I have money. I'm trying to do something with my money. I don't know what to do with my money. Mm-hmm. Um, what investments do you like? I know right now, you know, retail office space with COVID mm-hmm. seems to be an area that I don't know if that makes it a bargain or if that makes it um, just a problem or if it's just yeah. a what in the commercial world, what is the where are people putting their money? Where do you where would you advise somebody to put their money? I know that it depends on your own situation, but well, it's all it's, it's all their situation. And that's where you're having to talk to them. What are your goals? What do you right. want? Well, I um, I'm afraid to put it. I, ha- I have I came into some money. I have a million dollars and mm-hmm. I'm kind of afraid to put it in the stock market because I think it's going to crash. And I'm afraid to do this and inflation's eating away at it. I'm not mm-hmm. getting a return at the bank. What should I do with it? I ask, what do you want as far as do you want to try to maximize your potential return or do you want stability? Well, some people would say, I just want stability. I want to know that I'm going to buy this and I'm not going to go backwards. Right. The world could fall off a cliff in five years and I'm not going backwards. In that case, an obvious one is multifamily because, mm-hmm. you, know, um, you know, the university is always going to be there. They're always going to have thousands of students who need places to live. And so uh, an apartment building down by Western is always going to be good. Right. Now, the flip side of that is the return's not going to be as high. The mm-hmm. return might only be 4%. Yeah. But they might, you know, people are thinking, well, it's okay. It's safe. You know, they just ask you, am I going to go backwards? Is something going to blow up on me? The answer is no. Right. going to be okay. So the safer, the, the lower the but upfront somebody, return. But somebody who wants to... A little more speculative or has a little more money. Hey, you know, I got a million bucks, two million bucks. What should I do? I'd say, well, I'd develop some affordable housing. I'd be looking out in Blaine, out in Birch Bay. I'd be looking for land that was zoned like UR4, so four four units per acre. And maybe yeah. identifying, well, here's a 20-acre piece. We know half of it's wet. We have 10. So a potential of 40 houses, right? 40 lots. Yeah. Now, with all of our setbacks and we're having to cut in the roads and do all this stuff, maybe we're only going to get 25 out of it. And so then... You know, I, I'd be looking, I'd be, I'd, I'd say, hey, buy that, yeah. take the money, go get preliminary plat, maybe even service the lots, and then ask yourself, what could I sell 25 service lots for, you know, three years from now? Well, and, I, I totally agree. I think Blaine and Birch Bay, is, that's what I keep telling people right now. Too, yeah. but you mentioned Blaine and Birch Bay, but you got Bellingham, which is, there's almost no land. Right. Ferndale, the last 10 years, um, has been massively developed, mm-hmm. and Blaine and Birch Bay, Right by a five, still close to Bellingham. Mm-hmm. You have the Canadian border. You have the Canadian investors. Sure. Um, it just seems, and and there's a bunch of big projects about to go down mm-hmm. in Blaine. So I agree that that's a that'd be a hot area to to yeah. put money into right now. Yeah, that's the play. I like it. I like it. Okay, well, Pat Star, appreciate you coming on, man. Yeah, thanks for um, good, good stuff. Really good stuff. You can reach out to Pat if you have any questions. If you're watching this on YouTube, please subscribe to our John Scott Bellingham channel. If you're listening on a podcast, please give us a good rating and subscribe and thanks for watching guys cheers thanks